get stopped a lot, asked if you're me? Constantly. 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 Where, where do you live? I live in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, really? Yes. Okay. That is so hysterical. <laughs> that is hysterical. Oprah, I'm a flight attendant. Uh-huh. And it's constant. It's yeah, constant. You're just holding that tray. I'm yeah. just holding <laughs> Can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? And so what? Because they think I would just be on the flight you're or what? That, you're, 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 for what airline? For what airline? United. United. Yes. That's great. Everybody's asking me for cars. Yeah, huh? Everybody's asking me for cars. For cars. Everybody. <laughs> Tell them you're fresh out. <laughs> I love okay. it. It's fun. I'm it's having fun. a ball. I'm having a ball. Good. Use it. Curl your hair. Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I am your host, Jason Dubray. And uh, this episode, we're going to be looking at doppelganger movies. And that was an idea that my guest, first time guest on the show, uh, the guy I teach with, uh, Daryl Heskin, had um, when we were talking about a movie called The Mothman Prophecies uh, a while ago. And so we've been planning this one for a while. So, Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me and having this, this conversation. So we, we found kind of three sets, but there are many examples of this uh, where I think you were saying it more as a curiosity how sometimes these movies come out and sometimes at the same time mm -hmm. and they have pretty similar, maybe not exact, but pretty similar stories mm -hmm. and, and why that happens. And yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. I, I have a couple of theories. I was talking to somebody else who was a guest on a, another uh, episode too about mentioning this, that this idea was coming up. Both kind of interesting. I don't know which one, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the two and you tell me which one makes the most sense to you. I think I, I mentioned this, this one to you was more my theory. And it goes back to this idea of pitching a movie to a studio. And if somebody goes around and then their, their idea gets rejected from studio to studio, right. sometimes the studios actually hang on to the ideas and then they say no to that person pitching it, but then they actually give the idea to their own screenwriters. And so sometimes Paramount and Disney both get the same pitch and then yeah. they end up with the same idea and it happens around the same time. That was my theory, which is a, definitely a possibility. Regular guest on the show, Kurt Fitzpatrick, when we were talking about this idea, he'd also mentioned this idea that the way the studios and they're so interlinked now go, that sometimes you have this idea for a movie, but the idea becomes too big right. to be kind of one film. And then that kind of splits off into right. two directions. And then one studio takes one and the other takes the other, but yet there's still similar setup. I don't know what your theory is on uh, that idea. Well, the, uh, with the uh, mega sales uh, that have been going on uh, or purchases of studios, uh, like just the recent merger of uh, Disney uh, with uh, Marvel and Fox, and uh, you know, like they're pulling from, they have a vast library of ideas. If you spit out another movie or whatever based on something that, say, Fox did or or um, Marvel did, and then Disney can put it under the Disney banner. Or as far as I know, they're they're still they're still going to incorporate the separate banners for each company, but they're going to still be under the umbrella of uh, Disney. I guess what comes down to how much originality is will be there left after after you kind of filtered out all the uh, ideas and discussions and well maybe this fits under the Marvel uh, banner we'll put it over there and we'll still benefit and any smaller companies I'm not sure what 
uh, where they fit into this because they like the studios said I'm not sure if they if they're under those umbrellas too or if they're just trying to pull from the uh, other big companies in hopes that they, they might be able to get uh, their films out to multiple theaters and and uh, get enough people to watch it but it's, when you watch a film it's it, it you are have, have I seen this before <laughs> um, you know it's like and you and I, I found it recently with this with the uh, soundtracks too like just like I I, I think the you can only maybe use uh, uh, about ten percent of uh, a piece before you have to give credit to the writer or or whatever the case. But the, like you're watching a film and all of a sudden, wait a second, I think I, I think I saw that in uh, the last uh, last of the Mohicans or you know that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, but it's just a small little piece that triggers a memory, and and, and uh, sure enough, you, there is a very close similarity to. Uh, the musical score and and in maybe some cases uh, some of the sets they use because uh, they do re recycle a lot and I've noticed with uh, was it Star Trek Nemesis I guess the uh, the blade used by, by uh, um, the, the Romulans was uh, actually used in a Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, <laughs> TV show so <laughs> you know they're, like they're they're recycling all kinds of things so yeah well it's a way to save money I mean oh yeah. Yeah, the, like the studio system has always been had a lot of power in like the whole history of of cinema. And then what started to happen is in the '90s, and we again a lot of the movies we're going to be talking about are are from the '90s. But in the '90s, the independent movement became quite strong, and a big part of it is Miramax. Uh, say what you will about the uh, Weinstein brothers and all that, but what happened was that all the major studios got nervous, and they should have been because their films were not, you know, there was still some originality in there, but they were starting to lose the battle, especially towards the end of the 90s when it came mm -hmm. to award shows and that kind of thing. It was more independent cinema that started to, to flourish. So each of the studios created an independent film division, and then they would go around and the film festivals and buy up some of the promising films. Now we're in a time of streaming where now Netflix and, and Amazon have major uh, film studios and television studios as well. So a lot of those small films and those more maybe perhaps personal stories or original ideas are being scooped up by the streaming services uh, for their, their and, but they're in many ways operating very much like the big studio system, but they're, oh, yeah. they're a threat to the studio system. So now the studio system, much like they did with the independent movies, is now adapting in like every studio now, pretty much. Uh, Warner yeah. Brothers, I don't think has, they're connected to a couple. They don't have kind of their own streaming system quite yet, but they they are uh, all moving to that in that direction. And that's where that's going. And that's where a lot of people are kind of afraid of the history or the future of going to movies and are the movies that we see in theaters, are they only going to be the Marvel movies and the superhero movies and the big releases? We're recording this. I don't know when it's going to air, but the the Batman came out this weekend. And more original to me, ultimately, I mean, I, I'm not, I haven't seen the Batman or anything like that, but you know, movies like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza takes forever to come to a smaller city like we live in Saskatoon. And when it shows up, they have one screening a night and maybe for two weeks. And then if it's lucky, it goes to our art house theater, the Roxy theater downtown, and then it, it disappears. And then it, it is kind of that streaming or, 
you know, uh, Blu-ray platform where we start to see some of those movies. I always kind of battle it because I, there are some big budget movies I really enjoy watching and I'm entertained by, and I'm not going to fault anybody for that. Yeah. But that piece you said about the music, every toy you see, every prop you see, every piece of music, every reference to a TV show or that there are clips, you can trace that back to who owns the studio as far as the whole media conglomeration. So movies have in many ways become giant advertisements. And it's fine if that some balance in there happens, but when it's more advertisement than movie, that's when I get a little bit frustrated. So Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. But, uh, the movies we're going to be talking about, and I, I may seem, I, I, I do like most of them. I am going to seem pretty harsh in this episode. I, I, I didn't find anything where I was just like, gosh darn, that was a perfect movie uh, with any one of the six. But hopefully we'll be able to balance the positives and, and the negatives. We are going to look at Armageddon and Deep Impact, two end of the world disaster movies that came out within about two months of each other back in 1998. Then we're going to uh, take a look at Dante's Peak and Volcano, two movies again that were, they were almost, they were even closer. I think they were within a month of each other when, when they were released. And the last pairing we're going to take a look at and very much uh, kind of the catalyst for this, you said when you saw Mothman Prophecies that it reminded you a lot of a movie that's starring Kevin Costner called Dragonfly, which I had actually forgotten existed. <laughs> Uh, so, and uh, you were able to get a copy of it, and so watch that in, and pair it with the Mothman prophecies. And so, those those are the six we're going to look at. Uh, is there anything in general you want to say about those movies or or this concept before we uh, get into the reviews? In general, the one thing that really stood out uh, in the the first four movies. No offense to dog lovers out there, but there's a catastrophe going on, and the dog runs off, and <laughs> And then they have to go find the dog before they can proceed to uh, a location of safety. And it, it, and I, I, I swear that this, the dog in Day After Tomorrow, with a guy uh, on, on the bike, he has has his dog, and they uh, they end up in the library there when uh, everything creeps over. I, I swear, this, the same guy and the same dog were in uh, the movie Ar Armageddon. Uh, it could be. And then the, the, the same dog somehow managed to work its way into Donkey's feet. I, I would say, uh, you know, and maybe maybe this come up in, in some cases, I like, well, at least the dog was more lovable than some of the human characters yeah. in the movie. So you're like, oh, okay, well, we... who cares about the other characters? The dog is doing a great job and uh, getting all of the attention. No What hit us? Small asteroid fragments. This morning. How big were those? Those were nothing. The size of basketballs and Volkswagens. This new one you're tracking, how big? It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. It's what we call a global killer. The end of mankind. Half the world will be incinerated by the heat blast. And the rest will freeze to death in nuclear winter. Basically the worst parts of the Bible. Hitting a rock from the outside won't do the job. So we nuke this thing from the inside? How? We drill. We're bringing the world's best deep core driller. The United States government has just asked us to save the world. We're talking about space, right? Outer space? 
This is like deep blue hero stuff. I'm there. I'm with you. Beat me up, Scotty. I want all of you listening to know that everything that can be done to wage this terrible battle is being called into service. May we all see these events through with the courage worthy of this challenge. All right, flight directors, I want the go, no, go for launch. Booster. Go flight. GMC. Go flight. Hey, Harry, you know we're sitting on four million pounds of fuel, one nuclear weapon, and a thing that has 200,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? Okay, gentlemen, you're warriors up there. You're already heroes, just sit back and enjoy the ride. The dreams of an entire planet are focused on the 14 brave souls traveling into the heavens. Astronauts, welcome to space. It's about time, I haven't thrown up in about an hour. Let's start praying about right now. Listen, this is a kick-ass ride. Touchstone Pictures presents Bruce Willis. Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Ben Affleck, Will Patton, and Steve Buscemi. Just hold on! Production directed by Michael Bay. Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> Armageddon's an interesting one. I, I saw it in theaters. I actually saw it twice in theaters. The second time I saw it, I was just on this. It, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Packed in a van with a whole bunch of people on this trip. We're basically like 18, 19 year olds. And there was a, you know, kind of a leader. And, 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 and he lived in Toronto. And the idea was to go to on a road trip. You'd go to Toronto, do a bunch of stuff in Toronto, and then come home. But I was crammed at the back of this bus for a long... And my height and my buddies were all... It, it was just an uncomfortable trip. And everything was so raced. We went to a Blue Jay game and we left early. And I, I anyway, and we went to a movie at the time. Like these multiplexes weren't as common in uh, in Saskatoon. But we, we went uh, to this movie theater and we saw Armageddon. And I... I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was entertaining. Everybody knew that I was a pretty critical movie geek, and afterwards they were like, now you cannot possibly have anything bad to say about that movie. And I was no, I, I like it. I like it. Okay, you can relax a little bit. But it, it is interesting because when it came to the end of the year, I, I think it was Gene Siskel. It's either uh, Siskel or Ebert, but I think it might have been Gene Siskel. Chose Armageddon as the worst movie of 1998. Looking back on it now, I think it's some sort of an in-between from the oh you're wowed by it and all of the emotions and everything connected to it to it being the worst i don't think it was the worst of 1998 i might later on actually mention the worst of 1998 in context to another movie but i think it has uh some problems if you are going to be thinking about this movie that hard it is a dumb summer release about an asteroid coming to destroy the world, which in the 90s, it started to be big again. 1970s were filled with these disaster movies, Earthquake and The Towering Inferno, which are reviewed on the show and I actually quite like. We started to have them with the new advanced visual effects and technology to make some of these uh, stories happen. Yet the general idea here is that after discovering
discovering this asteroid, which is the size of Texas, is going to hit Earth. NASA decides to recruit a random group of drillers to go into space, get on this asteroid, and then do some drilling to blow it up so that it avoids hitting Earth. So this is basically a B-movie. I mean, then you have to realize this is a B-movie and it is stupid. It just happens to have a really amazing cast. Yeah. But the, the leader of all of this is a guy I don't, again, I don't think at the time I realized what a detriment to he was to film. A guy named Michael Bay, who a few years later started the Transformers franchise, which I am the opposite of a fan of. Let's put it that way and i don't want to go into a sidetrack about, about that but i i think there's some elements in here where bay is okay if he calms down for a minute right. and in this one unlike some of his other movies where he doesn't have a moment or doesn't calm down at all there are a couple of softer moments and some interesting things he did with the camera and the effects are there but i i cannot argue that it is a silly silly movie but i have some nice things to say and i have some not nice things to say but i'm more interested at this point in what your thoughts are of Armageddon. I agree with a lot of what, you, what you've been saying about that, uh, about the movie. But And you'll have to forgive me, I, I'm not fully up on the, the, the actors' names uh, as you are, but um, there's out of the, the whole cr uh, drilling crew, forget what his name, he was, he was in uh, the island, he was, he was the one that had that space or something or they had that they had the duct tape tape of the chair because he was Kibushemi. yeah that's him yeah he's often we, we needed him in a lot of these movies as comic relief this in con air i just didn't why we needed him in there yeah comic re relief but again this is a serious it's an action movie but it's also a, a serious movie or at least that's what the, the, the attempt was to what if this actually happened and there's there's talk about that possibility of, of uh, impact hitting earth uh, we've had some close calls over the last decade in some in some ways uh, it's like well how are we going to do this what if we could do this is, is it scientifically sound for us to do something like that? I, I, but I don't know if we can actually land a shuttle on top, top of a, uh, an asteroid and that's hurling through uh, space at whatever speeds and land it's just like you know you have, you have your other side so that's what that, that's where you, you mentioned the emotional side of it that uh, I, I thought was done uh, fairly well to show the you know you take you take you, you take a chance you have faith that that you can offer something in, in hopes that it'll extend human life longer and allow the daughter to get you know have get married and have you know have life and, and that's something we all cherish or want to have and so i think they achieved it in that fashion but there's and well i guess we'll talk about it i guess in the in the point uh breakdown later on but i was when the movie started i thought i was watching titanic briefly just on the soundtrack I, I thought I thought it was Titanic, and then I had and to it's, it came out about six months after Titanic. So oh, did it? Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay. Titanic had been delayed. Titanic was supposed to be out. I I'm sure they were well aware of Titanic when they were uh, putting together Armageddon. But yeah, there was. There was... No, I, was just wait I was just waiting for Titanic to pop in there. Uh... <laughs> Titanic versus the asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, that'd be a fun movie. Yeah, it would. It would be actually. That's what hit me right off the bat. Then I was like, okay. Then we uh, we hit, we, we, start, we see this uh, this asteroid. 
that's yeah. uh, bearing in on Earth. I, I guess the, like they all have, and all of these colorful characters have some sort of a backstory to them. I mean, I, with Buscemi's character, he ends up owing a lot of money because uh, he's pretty convinced that he's not going to come back from this mission. And so he, he goes and makes this ridiculous. He takes out this big loan so they can like party with strippers. When they're being trained with NASA, they have this one free night or something like that. So, oh, yeah, right. uh, you know, there, there, there's all, all these kind of silly pieces, but the heart and soul of it and whether this works for people or not. Some people have found it super melodramatic. And I guess it's like the movie was trying to have something for everybody. That's what movies at blockbusters at this time. They wanted the action. Again, these are all generalizations, but the action to get the guys in spending the money. But they want to have the love story subplot so that they can bring girlfriends or wives to uh, come and see this and that they will enjoy it as well. It's kind of the, the human story is Bruce Willis is the head of the uh, this uh, rig crew and he's had this kid working for him for a long time played uh, by Ben Affleck who had just coming off he was fresh off winning the Oscar for co-writing Goodwill Hunting that came out a few months before too so they were like okay he's he's one of the next big things and he's still around with all the ups and downs in his career but when Willis finds out that his daughter and played by Liv Tyler are in love with each other he doesn't approve of this and then we get some really like stupid stuff that happens like there's a sequence at the beginning where willis is going around in an oil rig shooting at ben affleck think about this for a moment how unsafe this is this is the guy who's in charge of the crew and all of this stupidness is happening at the same time as the government officials come in to bring them in to uh, explain this ridiculous idea that they have for trying to save the world. Why these guys would be uh, doing this, I don't know. Yet, I do want to mention that the screenwriters for this movie are are two, maybe person to be less known is Tony Gilroy, but he made a, a very good movie called Michael Clayton some years later that starred George Clooney. And J.J. Abrams, before J.J. Abrams became the Star Wars guy, Star Trek, and yes, yeah. the TV show Lost, all the stuff that he has done. He's a co-screenwriter for Armageddon as well. And like these guys I know have, have better sense than this, but I, I don't know. Along the way, a big movie like this probably has a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And, and so, and Michael Bay again too, and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer, he was the biggest producer in movies at the time, a bit before he got into TV with CSI. And it's a big, dumb, loud, action movie i am entertained by it yeah it's not gonna get the most points but it's not gonna get the least points from me necessarily but i again i was i was sure this was not gonna go well it had been a few years i was my arms were crossed as i started the viewing and they slowly started to okay after after the opening and things got they got got into things and like oh, okay if you take this too seriously you're in the wrong mindset this movie was not made for you it obviously wasn't made for it's Fiscal Liebert, but I would give it. Uh, I'm now in like the I like it enough. I wouldn't steer people away from it, but I also wouldn't be saying that it's the most solid movie that you'll you'll ever see. Are you a little bit less than that, or are you a little bit? You know, would, would your thumb be down for this one or not? Uh, for storyline, yeah, it's a dumb idea. Yeah, I rated that one really low. So what 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 is something that you? you like most about it well you mentioned the uh the sentimentality uh factor the the fact that the daughter's not going to see her father anymore um, yes it's spoilers for the movie but but the the fact that they they've been butting at each other's heads for a long time mm -hmm. and and then eventually bruce willis character just i guess submits to some his his 
humility and, and realizes that his daughter is has grown up and she can take care of herself. So uh, especially, I, I guess, the scene where they have their last, or he has his last conversation with her, that kind of tugged at the heart of it. So kind of put everything else aside. I think that that was probably the part of the, the tearjerker, I, I guess, if, if anything. And then they went back. They were heroes later on at, at the end. Uh, and, and that really, like, people were coming out much like Titanic. People mm -hmm. were coming out of the theater with from Armageddon and they had been crying like they they were they were moved in that way I, I I do feel like everything is set up and it is somewhat emotionally manipulative yet I still I still get it and I still feel some of that this time I wasn't like crying or anything but I, I probably felt that when I first saw it and it was just a pure emotional reaction to the film they handled those scenes well enough in comparison to we'll be talking about deep impact there's a similar type of moment and I think it's more understated and ultimately now something I like but I would prefer from that kind of, from this type of a movie in that type of a moment. I also wanted to do a shout out to, I mean, there's some awful lines this guy has. It's an actor named Will Patton. He's he's the guy who has, he's basically been estranged from his his wife and his child. And, and he's trying to explain ahead of time what he is going to do yeah. and then how that works. I mean, I, I, I do think it's a little bit silly that they're, you know, they go from like, she doesn't believe him and doesn't want anything to do with him into they're all lined up there when they land and for the for the uh for the last scenes of the movie but it's still i i think will Patton is a guy who and he appears in the mothman prophecies as well as he's a guy it doesn't matter what the movie is he's giving it his all and i think he's a, a really good a really good actor the, the other piece i i should mention because it was as big if not bigger to this day than the movie itself was the aerosmith song live tyler's in it so steven tyler and aerosmith did don't, I don't want to miss a thing it was an Oscar nominated song again that summer and we were traveling the radio was on all the time every 10 minutes or 15 minutes that song came on it was a good thing I liked it but I, I could tell others who didn't like it were really annoyed by it if you listen to it I mean it's it's actually one that Aerosmith didn't actually write but then it was written for them it's the first time they had a number one hit oddly enough but it was I think it's a solid song it's used in a very sentimental way for sure but it's something that came out of this movie and I'm happy exists in the world so it's, it's another kind of uh, nice thing so I feel like we're we're, 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 we're kind of talking around or a little bit mixed on this one, but ultimately, I think I like it more than you do, but I, hopefully it's not the worst thing that you've seen. <laughs> I'll watch it again, but it, it'll be a while before I, I, I do so. Like I'd have, I'd have to, there'd have to be absolutely nothing else on for me to, oh yeah, I'll watch that again. Yeah, get, give it some time. And yeah. for those, I mean, again, in, in the 90s uh, with a greater attention span that audiences had, it's a two and a half hour movie. The, the three hour movie was a staple of the, you know, six 60s into the 1990s for sure so this didn't feel like a big time commitment uh to me back in and i guess i had less res responsibilities in 1998 when it came out but now it feels like a, a bigger time commitment for two and a half hours to to watch this movie that i like enough but isn't exactly you know it's, it's not the first one i think of if i'm just gonna watch something just to just to relax but okay. you can probably put your brain on hold and have a good time with it anyway Are we on? Are we on? We're on, Mr. President. A few minutes ago, the United States ambassadors to every country in the world told the leaders of those nations what I'm about to tell you. The comets are still headed for Earth. 
Now, we've been planning for the worst, so I hope you'll bear with me and listen to what I have to say. To ensure the continuation of our way of life, we've been preparing a network of immense caves, and we can put a million people in them underground for two years. On August 10th, we're going to hold a national lottery. A computer will randomly select 800,000 Americans to join the 200,000 scientists, teachers, soldiers, and artists who have already been chosen. In addition, the United States and Russia have been building the largest spaceship ever constructed to stop the comets. We will prevail. Life will go on. So our second end of the world movie came out a little bit before Armageddon. I don't, it didn't get the box office numbers as, as much, but I think it, it did a decent enough job. Uh, it's called Deep Impact. Basically, in this case, a comet is discovered to be in a collision course with Earth and is uh, doomsday. They figure out when doomsday is. Years the human race uh, prepares for the worst. This is another disaster movie with a cast that is top level. We have just some some, some wonderful uh, people in here. Like Vanessa Redgrave is one of the great British actors of all time. She has a supporting role. And again, I just mentioned Will Patton being so, doesn't matter what movie he's in. He yeah. is just so uh, down to earth and sincere. And that, that's what we get from Vanessa Redgrave in this movie. We have Morgan Freeman as the president. I mean, he's played the president of the United States. He's played God. He's, in, you know, we're kind of used to that. But sometimes you, you, you see some of the scenes there when the disaster is happening and movie version of president somehow seems more comforting than than what we sometimes get in the he said that and i i just felt really at peace with morgan there yes like anything any any movie he's in i i feel at peace because i know even if the plot plot is kind of iffy yeah like he 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 played god first and so i feel at peace yeah he he has that quality to him i also want to mention a couple other actors robert duvall one of the greats of all time he plays an astronaut who's past his prime but is chosen to go on this mission with these younger astronauts in this case the astronauts they they actually believe that they would could learn how to to do some drilling to be able to blow this up to try to steer the con it one way it doesn't quite work out the way that they want it to but Duvall's great and particularly you know in those scenes where he's acknowledging that the others are at a distance from him and he's talking to them and saying well you probably don't want me on this and I'm your father or your grandfather's hero I'm not yours I am here and we're going to work together as a team I like those pieces a lot too I also really like Tia Leone he used to get lots of work in the 90s he was also on on television I guess her most recent 
think she was in a TV show called uh, Madam Secretary, but not not heard of. She doesn't get as much work as she used to, and she was in a lot of stuff. Uh, and she is, in, in some ways, almost a central character here as this reporter who thinks she figured out one thing about uh, a politician played by James Cromwell, wonderful actor. He was in uh, The Farmer from Babe. And it turns out to have a lot more to do with this secret mission to, to deal with this situation. This is also another one. It's, it's interesting how this gets discovered by a couple of kids who are just looking up into the sky, played by a very young Elijah Wood, uh, along for Lord of the Rings. And I would say this is at the time when I liked Elijah Wood as an actor. I, I'm not sure if I've ever gone on board with him as an adult actor, but him and Lily Sobieski, they kind of discover together, but it's mostly uh, Elijah Wood who does. And, and they've got this really kind of interesting subplot too, where I, I think this is where the movie kind of, the setup is so good. I mean, I watched it after Armageddon and it was almost like, okay, now I'm at the age where I prefer the calmer version of this story. And so I was I was enjoying it. This one, though, I think the screenplay goes kind of sideways when they realize they can't stop things. And then they decide to have this lottery to determine who gets to survive, to uh, go into these bunkers and come back and repopulate the, uh, the human race after everything has happened. But there is this re it's really strange teenage love story between them that happens where he's been selected to survive, but her and her family haven't and they decide to get married and if they get married and then then he thinks he can bring her family and his family and keep them safe and yeah it leads to some melodramatic stuff some things that where i'm just like i i'm not quite sure i believe that would happen when the when the special effects go uh, hard and heavy and you know this comet starts to hit earth you have to hand it to them they obliterate earth i mean it isn't yeah it isn't just like a close call like it is in some of these movies so i was entertained by it i was in the right mood for it uh, i i kind of left with a more positive feeling than i did with armageddon I watched them, I think, probably the same night, actually. So Deep Impact, while it has some problems, I think, in the third act, and like any of these movies, really stretches reality, I, I think it's a pretty solid film. I would recommend it to people. But what are your thoughts on Deep Impact? Well, I uh, I watched that one third after Volcano. Yeah. Having the the, the, the two teenagers finding spotting it in the sky and forever their name will be applied to this asteroid that will decimate earth i'm not sure if that's something you want to be remembered for but they they were really happy about it uh, from, from yeah the I, whole school cheered i know it's like yeah. his friend whispered to him he's gonna get laid or something like that <laughs> Just as you would in one of these movies and then he yeah. looks over at lily sobieski yeah. it's just one of those awkward movie moments it's like <laughs> put that on your resume but uh, it's the vessel that they send out to uh, put this nuke on on the asteroid. Uh, they, they they gave it the name Messiah, and right away I thought of that Simpsons episode, uh, Halloween horror episode, where they had the two shuttles, and one one went off to safety, and the other one went into the sun. And I thought, you know, that, okay, that the one that went up to safety that was Messiah, and, it, and then to when it, when it broke into two two pieces, they thought, oh, we'll, we'll fire a missile from Earth and see if that'll do the job and deflect the comet off somewhere. But scientifically, I'm not a science uh, expert, but 
I don't think that would work in nope. that regard. But I guess the um, <laughs> I was I was pleased that Western Canada was mentioned in the movie. Right. I, I did pick up on that one. I thought, okay, finally a movie that mentions Canada. We will be hit and we'll be in darkness for two years, but we're quite used to that anyways. So I, uh, for for six months. So, so again, I think where we you now living in this country, I think we'll be fine should something like this happen. According to the movies, according yeah, to movies, we should be fine. So this is the place to be when it comes to those type of movies. But yeah, the entire eastern part of the United States gets totally yeah. demolished. But that's not going to hurt the Maritimes or no. Ontario or Quebec at all, no. is it? No, the whole new coastline will will start will start in New Brunswick and work its way down. One of the, they did the the saying goodbyes like they did in Armageddon, just they did their farewell. So again. Now, Impact, that came out about the same time as Armageddon, you said? Uh, yeah, it was, I think it was the first weekend of, it was probably May. It probably it would have been close to Memorial Day in the, in the States. May is kind of the unofficial start of the summer movie season. And it was in the first weekend, and it was the first big release of of that summer season in 1998. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was ahead of Armageddon. Armageddon, I believe, was July. It was somewhere around Independence Day that it came out. We've seen Armageddon, uh, you know, saying goodbye through the camera and the, that emotional sentimentality. And then uh, we see it again in Deep Impact. So... It felt like I was watching a similar movie as I had previously yeah. watched before. So I have to say, if it wasn't for Morgan Freeman, I I don't think I'd be able to get through that movie. So you, you weren't entertained by it, huh? No. Uh, what's her name? Is there Tia Leone or... Tia Leone. I don't know if this was her first movie. Which I know she was in Dick and Jane with... Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey, thank you. You know, those kind of type of movies, uh, comedy movies. So this was... I'm not sure if this was her first serious role. Her Madam Secretary role, like she did a really good job with that. So I, I don't know. I just, it just didn't feel like she, she was more, more for the dramatic side on, on for TV than, uh, and for her to challenge the president by uh, releasing that information during the uh, questioning Q and A with the president. I, I don't think you'd be able to get get away with that too much these, uh, these days, or maybe at all. These days, no, no. But even back then, you know, if if if, if, if that information came out during a press briefing, I think they would have just, hey, we're not talking anymore, like we're, yeah. the screen blank or whatever, we're not talking about that. But, but at that time, and, and even very much like the idea is that like she got enough information that she could run the story without allowing the president to comment. I mean, that's how she got to the front of the line yeah. there. And the White House, and this was before a time where the, the White House, they wouldn't like tell you everything, but I mean, there was... Just, uh, there, there was the openness with the press. And I think that's come back a little bit, but certainly during the Donald Trump era, that wasn't a thing. And it, and it has been an issue that's been raised for a long time. But if the media got a hold of something, you know, they would send it out to the world. Yeah. And there was no comment from the White House on this matter. And it, it turns into a big scandal and a big problem. So they, they, they would have had to do something about it because she, she had tripped on this, oh, yeah. over this information, but she was chasing a, a different type of a story and a different type of a scandal and something more along the lines of a sex scandal. And that wasn't what was actually happening. I think, you know, there, there is this key mother-daughter relationship that involves Tia Leone and Vanessa Redgrave. What's also complicated about it is that the father left the mother and 
there's a lot of uh, feelings connected to that but when one of those characters dies and how it happens uh and like the editing it's somewhat predictable where it's going to go but i thought that plus the reaction from tia leone was very well handled yet it was a lot more understated than it was in armageddon when it comes to special effects and again what we are dealing with now is like some of these 90s movies where they started to rely on computers a little bit more and sometimes it looks a little bit rough in places i would probably give them the special effects points more to armageddon than i would to deep impact there were a couple things that didn't look quite as good but not not bad not bad really so i just ended up i, I think i used to like armageddon more than i liked D- deep impact for some reason i've switched positions because now as as I get a little bit older, I, I I don't if it makes sense for the movie to scream in my face, I will let it. And but I'm not sure that there was a reason for Armageddon to scream in my face. Here, yeah, we have these moments where there's this great loss and these really sad moments, but it doesn't linger on it. It goes back to what the main story is and reaches the logical conclusion for the film. And uh, and so I I guess I at this point I appreciate that a little bit more. Again, I I like both of these end-of-the-world uh, disaster movies, I'd probably go Deep Impact. It doesn't sound like you liked either of them, unfortunately. So, sorry, I made you watch some. No, 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 no. Like, like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Deep Impact for, well, probably since it came out. Having had, what, 20 years of other uh, Armageddon-type films... For the time period, I do have to give it credit, like you said, special effects. Uh, I think they did a, a very decent job there, and it seemed a little, little more believable, yes, uh, compared to Armageddon, uh, especially when they finally land on there, and then you, you've got particles of disaster. You know, it's, it's uh, whereas the other one, you they they do what they need to do. They get in there, they do their job, but you know, unfortunately, it didn't do the job that they had hoped it would would have done. Whereas Armageddon, it's like, yeah, it did it. We're good. We're safe. Train people who have never had any training to go into space in a few days and then send them up there with, you know, two other astronauts and it's going to work out fine so oh yeah yeah Yeah. this one had fully trained astronauts the best in the world and it didn't work out the way that they had hoped the project or the plan for was probably crazy but at the same time it didn't work and that's a little bit more in the reality points column i think to deep impact over over armageddon was there anything else you wanted to say about deep impact no i i I just for me it was uh morgan freeman he saved it he just has a way about it doesn't matter what movie he's in it, it, it he just has a way of pulling the viewer in to the emotional aspect, uh, you know, of a what if scenario. And also, no matter what's happening here, we have to we have to be united. We need to, we need to come together as one. And even after, you know, whatever the when the dust settles, so to speak, we're going to have to rebuild, and we need to put aside our biases and divisiveness and things like that. And and he said that in his speech, and of course at the at the end where he addresses everybody in the rebuilding process just one of those it would be nice if, if, if our own politicians would take a page off it, you know, his scripts and incorporate it into our world today so, so. sounds like that speech is needed right now oh yes <laughs> in the rea- the reality we're in which feels like science fiction sometimes yeah. as well I, I did want to mention one more thing about this movie that in this time where these big summer blockbusters would be directed by men Mimi Leader is the director of Deep Impact she was coming off of being a, a director on the TV show E 
ER and she was given this big project, big, big release from DreamWorks in the early years of of DreamWorks uh, Studios. And she's now uh, a director on the, the morning show on Apple Apple Plus. Um, I I am glad that we can just highlight, even in the 90s, that there were some, the rare film that was actually summer blockbuster directed by a woman, and there should be a lot more of them than there are. I mean, we we had the the Eternals did not get a great reception, but was a major blockbuster film directed by Chloe Zhao, Oscar-winning director for a film I love called Nomadland. I hope that's more commonplace, but in 1998, that was pretty unheard of, and I, I think it's a well-directed movie as a summer blockbuster and shows restraint in a few places and has a little bit of the the human touch and working with a a great cast the the way that she did and a pretty epic story it turns day into night air into fire Nothing in the world can compare to its power. The most awesome sight you will ever see may be your last. In the town of Dante's Peak, a volcano is turning nature into a nightmare. Brosnan, Linda Hamilton. Oh my God. Dante's peak. The pressure is building. worked in a movie theater when Dante's Peak came out, but actually I, I didn't. The next two movies we talked about, I, I, I really had not sat down and, and watched Dante's Peak nor Volcano, which we'll talk about right after this. In both cases, we're, we're looking at a situation where a volcano is erupting in a, a place that, I guess in one one place, it might be a little bit more expected than the, than the other. But in Dante's Peak, we have Pierce Brosnan, a volcanologist, so an expert in volcanoes. He arrives at this, this countryside town it's considered like a really lovely place to live but then he starts to see some evidence that a volcano is going to erupt and there's this great danger and they need to evacuate the town of course as happens in these movies authority figures including his own boss don't believe him by not listening to him then uh there is great panic great danger and ultimately some people die as a result of this i like pierce brosnan in this role this is a good one for him i also so I'm happy to see a wonderful actor, Linda Hamilton, of course, always will be known for Sarah Connor in the Terminator movies. She's the mayor of the town, but as is the case in Small Town, also has a business and she has this coffee shop that she also runs and she's a, essentially a single mother. There's a few predictable notes. There's a bit of a flirtation and romance between Brosnan and Hamilton. Like we could see that coming a mile away. But I, I like those characters enough and I like the setup. That's where I get kind of disappointed that when the action starts to happen, I think 
think the film goes a bit off the rails. There's ridiculous things that happen. They're like in those kids uh, are annoying because they, you know, there's the dog, but there's also uh, the stuff with the grandmother who was the mother-in-law. Everything that she does is so counterintuitive and causes this great danger and crisis, which didn't necessarily need to happen. But I guess if I'm complaining about that, then we didn't wouldn't have a whole movie. But I, I just, I found a real difference between the critics' hats started to come on halfway through this movie and it got tighter and tighter as we went along and just ridiculous things that end up happening that nobody could survive this vehicle that they're driving they're driving through a river at one point they end up on like they start driving through a mine <laughs> and then i mean they do a good job of, of of having you know this claustrophobic feel but again there's this other cockamamie reason in that sequence where pierce brosnan has to leave linda hamilton and the kids alone to go get something from the vehicle which puts him in danger puts them in danger and i was just like how many self-made obstacles can we have in here and these are not stupid characters on the page or stupid actors but the actions that they take seem too ridiculous ridiculous so i i really went back and forth so I, i'm probably in the middle to a thumbs down type of a review with dante's peak but i'm interested in your thoughts on this one well to get into volcano later but i thought dante's peak i again it's a movie i haven't seen probably since it came out and so when, when i started watching it, it was like okay i I'm starting to remember some of these things. Pierce Bronson's character, uh, and he does a very good job with articulating, uh, you know, the situation, the scenario. And then his supervisor shoots him down completely, saying, "No, we can't do it because it's political. It's going, to, it's going to really mess up our political connections and and things like that." And then when things get too too late to save everybody, because the, the plan was, if you would have believed me right off the bat, we would have saved everybody. There would have been no loss of life. Of any kind yes the town that the town would be decimated but everybody would be alive and then he goes what, what was his what was his uh, character's name harry his name's harry yeah. so harry uh, has a chance you know he, uh, we had that, that uh, he lost his wife at the beginning of the, of the movie so mm -hmm. we, we have we have the, that emotional sympathy factor right off the bat so we, we are we are connected to that uh, character and then years years passed or, uh, and he, he's trying to keep himself busy and occupied so he doesn't fall into a vicious cycle of you know the what if scenario what could he could he have done something differently he, he lays it all out for Rachel or Linda's character and she believes him like she's right there and then but the supervisor steps in no it's, we can't do it it's political or you know it's gonna mess up a lot of things and uh, some leadership's against it too. Too. I mean, yeah. yeah, they aren't listening. Uh, they aren't listening to Rachel, who's the mayor. I mean, it's like tourist season. Yeah. Where have we heard this before? Jaws? Well, it doesn't even matter. You have somebody that knows what's going on. If you get into the, with all the stuff going on in the last couple of years, like, you know, the frontline workers know what's going on. And, uh, but no, you've got people that have no connection to, to uh, frontline worker or the real issues. And you're making these decisions. And, and then you realize after the fact, oh, maybe we should have, <laughs> we should have listened to them right off the bat. And then, and the guy, and the supervisor, I'm sorry, Harry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I should have. I should I should be yeah. you know it's like I'm sorry about that Harry says that's okay that's okay it's like no it's not okay like because of, of your inability stupidity what we could have had this all dealt with and then it contained within that you know but uh, everyone's saved but no but of course we wouldn't have a movie then and of course we wouldn't be able to save that dog later on yeah the saving the dog is a key yeah. one in this and then like two, so kids, two kids how, how two kids get into a vehicle yeah they drove 
drive up to grandma's place. Yeah, that was so insane. It's like, come on. I was I was actually, come on at, at that point. when they. How, do, when how, they did they, how did they know the road? They're, they're driving on the road. Like, Plus, they, it's the most extreme conditions because this, yeah. this volcano's erupting around them. I mean, it's... Okay, there's there's trees on either side. Just stay straight. And then they get there and, it, and, the, and the grandmother goes, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be up here. It's like, we're up here because of you, grandma. We want to save you. Right. Oh, I, I didn't think that my grandchildren would actually want to save me. You know, I'm, here, here are the things I, I guess we'll, we'll give it credit for because it used to be like, oh, come on, nobody would be this stupid in, in reality. And we do, unfortunately, now have examples of pe people being this stupid when there's the warning signs and then the authorities don't listen to it. And then, as you just described, but you, you hear about these with the, the wildfires and like the towns in California, BC. There's always these people like, well, I'm not, I'm not leaving my home. Yeah. We, we saw it with, uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina as well. There's many examples of this. There are always people like that grandmother who is just not believing it or not willing to leave their home. And so I believe all of that. But the, the notion of these two kids going and rescuing their grandmother and then, yeah, and then it's like this extra obstacle for Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. But it, like that, that that whole sequence from that point to the end of the movie is, is, is just a mess. And again, I you know, it's not just me kind of being like, well, it's a movie. Let me just sit back and enjoy it. I think, unfortunately, for the, this movie and in some ways Volcano, even though it wasn't bothering me, I kind of was expecting to be like, oh my gosh, the effects look bad now. But yeah. in both movies, the effects are not have not aged that well. No. I think there are some things that are great about the first half and the setup that when once we get into Volcano, we, we might be, when we're comparing notes on the two, there, there, there would be some things that Dante's Peak did a little bit better in their setup, perhaps, yeah. than, than Volcano does. But that said, it, it, it disappointed me because this is a movie that I wanted to like and I thought I was fully there and then it got into such a silly I don't know what a bunch of people got in and messed with the screenplay towards the end so we don't have enough action in this in the first half so let's let's create a bunch of stuff for you know these set pieces for special effects show off what we can do and let's use the dog and the kids and and the, and the vehicle does not burn somehow it manages to still drive without it the tires all burnt off and it's yeah still, it's, it's still, still driving those rims going. and not for one moment there's a point where you think that some of our major characters have died mm -hmm. and going back to deep impact or armageddon as well but even more deep, deep impact they didn't do a false note where oh suddenly somebody comes back and oh no it was good all along yeah. and that moment where we thought they were gone no that was just to a little bit of manipulation but we didn't actually need to worry at all because we knew it was gonna be a happy ever after and the two uh likable stars are going to kiss at the end and the children are going to look at them and now they've got this nice little mini family yeah. as they're in front of this town which has been destroyed so i again i think you know maybe maybe that's where it's it's not gonna do quite as well as these really silly disaster movies that we just talked about. I mean, these are all, four of the six are disaster movies. They're all silly one way or the other. But I think the first two, as ridiculous as they were, there were so, more things that worked for me than didn't. But yeah, this no, one is, is very mixed. And so I would encourage people to check it out for themselves. I think Dante's Peak has been kind of forgotten about. Yeah. A lot of these movies in the 90s just that don't have as much of a, a legacy. I, I would encourage people to go back and, and give it give it a day in court. But I... I don't know that this is something where I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just dying to see Dante's peak again. Good morning, Southern California. We're heading for a high of 75 degrees. Didn't take long to get our first zig alert this morning. <laughs>
This morning's shaker surprised all of us here in the Fox 11 newsroom. This was a small to moderate earthquake. Epicenter in magnitude is in for a tenth Epicentered in Palmdale. Palmdale. Is the word. If a dam breaks and the mayor calls, I don't want you telling her Rourke went fishing. Okay, we don't pull her off the slopes for even a 4.9. Gas explosion in the MacArthur Park area. Rescue crews. Public Works lost seven guys. What's going on? Three guys on a storm drain. They hit a steam pipe and got scalded. Steam did that. Steam doesn't charge tissue like this. Methane? Something else. We got a problem. Number four trend, westbound. Temperature on board reads 20 degrees above normal. That lake was 62 degrees yesterday. Today it's up to 68. That's a sunny day. It takes a geological event to heat a million gallons of water in 12 hours. What is a geological event? Mike, come in. What's going on? It's tremendous heat. This is no good. Get out of here. Get off the train. Get off the train. Please do not leave your home. Somebody tell me what the hell is going on. There's got to be something feeding this. When it hits what? It's going to punch through. You mean you're rough? It's everywhere. It's not enough time. I need a demolitions team. Everybody out! LAPD, National Guard. Put as many people in front of it as it takes. If we turn and run now, they're going to be defenseless. You don't like my plan? That's good. Give me another plan, but don't tell me we're backing out. We're going to take this thing to the ocean. In a city where anything can happen. On April 25th. Please stay calm. So I, I remember the advertisement for Volcano was big. Big promotion, similar type of uh, time frame to say a, a deep impact. The movie came out in 1997, so uh, the year before. These two were the year before the Armageddon and Deep Impact films. And Volcano, and again, I worked at the movie theater. It ended up at, I worked at Rainbow Cinemas, a discount theater. It ended up there really fast, and it disappeared within a week or so. So I, I barely remember even being there at the end when people would, would exit to clean the theater so I, I would usually catch the end of most movies because of that and I, I just did not do well I think this was a major loss for uh, for the studio which which was Fox and I mean it's the, the pieces some of the pieces seem like they should be in place to me I, I, I've i always loved Tommy Lee Jones what a great actor and this was a, a vehicle for him and he did a lot of supporting roles in the 90s but he's the lead as Michael Rourke who is in charge of the safety and the safety of Los Angeles and then there's some strange activity that starts to happen and there's an expert similar in a way to Pierce Brosnan in Dante's Peak played by an underrated actor this is we talked about Tia Leone kind of disappearing a bit even more so Anne Heche Anne Heche uh, you know yeah. she was a soap opera actor she was in a lot of movies some good some not so good Six Days Seven Nights with Harrison Ford she was in she was in the remake of Psycho I always liked seeing her in, in movies she was all the Donnie Brown 
Brasco. She played Joni Depp's wife in Donnie Brasco. It was awesome in that movie. Yeah, she plays uh, Dr. Amy Barnes, and she, as as illogical as it seems, figures out that there is potentially a volcano that could erupt in the middle of Los Angeles. Of course, they don't believe her in this case, and Tommy Lee Jones is just as guilty in not believing her that it's something else is happening until he sees it for himself, and by that point, sections of downtown Los Angeles are in uh, in big trouble. The human piece connected to this is very much Tommy Lee Jones and his daughter, played yeah. by uh, Gabby Hoffman. Uh, she's got started to get some work again. She's in a movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix recently, Come On, Come On, and she was on the TV show Transparent. Uh, she was a child actor. She was in a lot of stuff as a kid. Uh, she uh, This is kind of an in-between stage. She's playing the teenage daughter, divorced from his wife, and strained, very much strained relationship with his daughter. But because of this situation, again, they, they get separated, and there's some danger for her, and that's just an, an added level to the story so i i don't think it's a necessarily a good movie but i don't think so it's as bad as it was made out to be but in this one i i for some reason i i just treated it more as a special effects extravaganza and the we see the lava it, it looks very computer generated almost cartoonish but there was something still like with these explosions and how it looked in la something kind of cool about it so perhaps if you like pat it in the background and had the sound off and you just watched it, it would be kind of an enjoyable thing to just look at and take in but it's not a good movie and I, I, I think the setup and the, the time for the character us to get to know the characters that's where Dante's Peak was better that first half of the movie before the special effects extravaganza started to happen we got to know them really well which is why I was cheering for that movie maybe a little bit more we get the mix of the special effects and we sort of get to know the characters and love like Tommy Lee Jones, Don Cheadle's in this movie, really good actors but I don't feel like, I feel like they're like, okay, well, let's put the stars in here and just the, because of the charisma of these actors, we're going to like automatically like these characters but I don't think a lot of thought was put into the characters, more thought was put into look at how we can create all of these special effects and uh, damage sections of Los Angeles. Normally it's New York as you said, New York gets pummeled in Deep Impact and Armageddon uh, here's Los Angeles, I guess maybe I appreciate the change in location, but I will give it the points that they are massively unprepared for this. But why would they be prepared for a volcano to erupt in the middle of Los Angeles? That it just seems—it's not sections of Hawaii. It's not. Dante's Peak, you know, uh, I think their slow response makes sense, but it is, again, the trope, like in all these movies, that there is somebody who's smarter and ahead of everybody else, who is trying to warn the authorities and they laugh at it, or they don't take it seriously, and then they're into a big problem. I don't know how, how close Los Angeles is to the, to the San Andreas Fault, but there, there'd be, I, I'm guessing that probably the, part of their, their, their logic behind this movie is that the, yes. the San Andreas would have fractured at some point creating all these fissures and uh, eventually working its way in. And I, I, I think it was a underground, not a subway, but a water line or, or, mm -hmm. or super line or something like that where, the, where they had the first signs of, of uh, heat and breakage in the, in the earth that Tommy Lee Jones' character was able to identify that this was truly a volcano as Van Hache's character had stated. I, I noticed uh, Keith David, I had to look this up, but Keith David, he was the general in Armageddon and he played the 
police officer here in Volcano. And whenever Keith David comes into into play, we have to have to do do it this way, the military way, or this. In this case, he was a police officer, and we're, the police are going to handle it. And, and uh, so now you have these police officers and other crews that are creating a, a spillway for the for the lava to pour into and to leave the alleviate the pressure that, so that Los Angeles doesn't go totally off the map. Whereas in Armageddon, you have the oil crew that are called upon to, to uh, drill into an asteroid and deep impact. You have a retired astronaut that had to learn how to drill. So it's... Yeah. Um, he pilots it and then those other young guys go in. Yeah, yeah. So it's just... It, it just parallels big time, even among the ones that are, we're not necessarily completely pairing together and like they they have to redirect this so that can the molten lava is going out into the into the ocean, ocean instead yeah. and they have to blow up this building and of course yeah there's this kids kids running off and like there's this whole thing with tommy lee jones daughter yeah. who's looking after this kid who who runs away and then leads to this really potentially dangerous moment and yeah. involving blowing up this building which leads to quite a, a dramatic climax the building <laughs> Along I mean, the to get to the ocean down that uh, billway of theirs so that Los Angeles has, and like filming um, the whole as it traveled all the way out to the uh, Pacific Ocean. There are a couple other actors I wanted to mention. John Corbett. This is a to, a, oh, a, yeah. a, a case like he, like he's a good actor. He was on Northern Exposure, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, lots of stuff like that. He I think is off, very miscast. He's playing this this guy who he's the one in charge of this really tall building, and he does all this stuff that's counterintuitive i just he didn't seem like the right guy for that role like he does a lot better playing a little bit of a, a laid back the calmest person in the room type of thing and he just didn't strike me as being like a greedy realtor i mean I, that just seemed like a bad casting but i did want to show a, a really good character actor named john carroll lynch dan olber is his name and he shows up and he spoilers for the movie he doesn't last that long but he's the one who does that rather heroic action when the train the lava's coming to the train and ends up saving that man but at the cost of his own life again that's something that somebody could just gloss over but there, there's something about that guy he even if he isn't given much to do he's given a really interesting character in some ways i felt like i in a short period of time i got to know that guy better than i got to know uh tommy lee jones character but it was still it was just so kind of jumping into the action too fast type of thing you know we, in, in both of the the pairings we have a movie where one where it takes its time a little bit more and the other one where the action happens immediately and never really stops. Dante's Peak took its time. Volcano got there pretty fast. I think it has some quieter moments. It's not like Armageddon two and a half hours of nonstop noise, but I, I just think the human element wasn't as effective. The other thing I would say that there's a character in, in Volcano, this journalist, who is narrating his story. He's kind of calling the story in to his newspaper oh. or, or the TV station. Yeah, yeah and, and we're just watching all of this stuff happen in this montage he annoyed me so much i mean there was just he, he he was just so grating and so like i because it's a movie i can say this not in the actual reality of life but i i kept hoping that the uh, lava would catch up and get rid of this guy so he would shut up and we could just 
continue watching the movie. Yeah. It was just probably in the writer's room. They thought this was a brilliant exposition device to use to have this guy, but it was just bugging me so much in the, the middle part of this film that this guy was just, he was just interfering with the film. I, I thought when he, I think he was supposed to be spoon feeding us a little bit more about what was going on, but I did not like that, that choice or that device or that performance or anything about it. Again, there was a dog that was saved uh, in this one too. And yeah, it's like, yeah, save the dogs. I'm just like, enough of the dogs. I, I will say that th this counteracts how many movies do you know of though, where the dog gets killed by some sort of a villain. Like that happens. That's a trope in, in all of these other movies too, where we, we watch all of these people get killed and what, Oh, action! Cool, but as soon as like the villain kills the dog, Dick, that, that, that that's a truly evil character. Now, yeah. now we have all these movies where they're getting into trouble and causing obstacles by trying to save the dog. In John Wick, I felt for I, I, yeah. I felt so example, John Wick, yeah. And then, then he ended up getting another dog later on. But that, that you know, in that case, that was a different uh, setup. But to, to have all this, this other stuff going on, and then you go after there's that dog that just seems to be there, and you have to stop him doing. But this thing in order to save this little cute puppy. The dogs, the kids, and the old people all seem to need to be rescued in these movies, but it just feels like this this false crisis, and the fact that, like, it very much at the last minute, Tommy Lee Jones, when he realizes that, that his daughter is and this little girl are in danger, and, I mean, some people could argue Tommy Lee Jones is miscast, but even if he's miscast, I mean, I, I still, it's not his fault that this movie doesn't work. I think he does everything he can with it, and I do kind of like in some ways there is that problem solving aspect of they, they try something it doesn't work we have to try something else one other thing and I don't think this is completely well handled but it is acknowledged because Los Angeles in the 1990s and I think you know through its history but especially post Rodney King beating there is a distrust the African American community had for the LAPD and that is addressed in the movie again I don't think it's a, and there is a, a mostly black neighborhood that's in a lot of danger of if this lava can get in there and kill all these people and there's uh, somebody from the neighborhood trying to do something about it and actually gets handcuffed and arrested by a racist cop no doubt the guy's racist and then they like this guy gets released but then he helps avert this one crisis yeah. the racist cop and the guy and then they then they kind of like settle the racist cop says go and get some help over there and then the guy walks away yeah. what was most offensive to me about this in a 2022 context yeah. Is that the racist cop's buddy after that said, you're a good man. No, you are not a good man. You are not a good man. Your actions were detrimental. You have a major situation here and you're more interested in trying to quiet down a black man trying to save his neighborhood. I mean, I think an attempt to address an, a, an issue, but it was not very well thought out. And then John Cheadle's uh, character ends up taking charge. Uh, what was it called? OEM? Uh, Office of Emergency Manage Management was the... Uh, yeah people in charge of this. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones will finally take some time off at the end, yeah. which he was refusing to do at the beginning. Back to the music. Uh, after all that, and then you get the, the, the song I Love L L.A. Uh, yeah. The end there. Again, I'm a sucker for that. I, I, I know it's stupid. I'm also a Los Angeles Dodger fan. Yes, and you are. the Dodgers win, they play that song. And so when that came in, I was like, I, 
I really should not like this, but yeah. in my heart of hearts, I actually like this move. Of, I love L.A. It's a good yeah. movie, but the song is great. So that's what that's what saved this saved the movie was that song. Yeah. Uh, and I and I, I did I did did some research on this. They've been in the movie Bean with Rowan Atkinson when he's in L.A. Escape from L.A. Naked Gun and variety of uh, Los Angeles sports teams. Uh, uh, Randy Newman team. gets a lot of money from royalties. That's that's yeah. what that means. All this stuff happens in Los Angeles. I love L.A. You know, and it's just like, okay. <laughs> that part's silly. I went along with it. I, I think the cast is better than the material, ultimately. There's a couple things I can get behind. In fairness, I think I was, this one, for some reason, compared to like when I was watching Deep Impact or whatever, I, I think I was at the end of a, I was tired at the end of a school day. I had maybe had a little bit of a headache while I was watching that. I don't know if that impacted my, my experience watching this or not. It, it probably did to a certain degree, yeah. but I don't think I could in completely recommend this. But I also, this is another one that's been forgotten about. A lot of people don't know, we've never heard of Volcano. So I don't like, even if it's a bad movie, I don't like movies to disappear. I would say, check it out, yeah. form your own opinion. There, There is worse out there than, than oh, Volcano yeah. for sure. But it just all, the whole thing didn't necessarily come together or work for me as much as I would have liked. It's bad, Joe. They're evacuating the villages. The roads are washed out. We're hearing gunfire now. Joe! Emily! <laughs> Emily Darrow was not just a doctor. She was a healer and a credit to the human race. Since Emily's death, you have been working around the clock seven days a week. All right, let's go. You need time off. Dragonflies were sort of her personal totem. She even had this small birthmark on her shoulder that kind of looked like one. Now I see him everywhere. I think you are literally going buggy living in that house. Take down the vacancy sign that says Emily's ghost is welcome here and get on with your life without her. my name i follow him into the icu where he flatlines and then his heart started again he hasn't stopped drawing him since he got out of the icu yesterday the lady in the picture she wants you to go there go where ben she's trying to reach me and she's becoming desperate joe i can't believe you're buying into this death is like pregnant you either are or you aren't i'm not crazy have you personally had any experience with emily since her death of course i haven't and why haven't you because i haven't gone halfway to heaven and she has no way of reaching me there are a hundred steps on the ladder of consciousness if we can create this world with what we imagine why not the next
those who know me know I'm an enormous Kevin Costner fan. I, I mean, I had a Kevin Costner-themed show where I had my brother on as a guest in the early days of this podcast. And, yeah, there have been some movies that have slipped by me. And Dragonfly uh, from 2002 is, is, is certainly one of those that I, I remember seeing it when it came out in theaters. I didn't know anything about it. I, and when we started watching it, I'd forgotten that, that uh, Kathy Bates is actually uh, in the movie. The, the cast is Costner, Joe Morden, Ron Rifkin. Um, I saw him in New York in the production of Cabaret. Jay Thomas, Matt Craven, several really, really talented people connected to this movie. And it's essentially about much in the way of Mothman prophecies. And again, Dante's Peak as well, where at the very beginning, we're immediately into this action and this this woman ends up dying. And then we, we, we see this doctor play by Kevin Costner who is is grieving for his wife and he starts to believe that his wife is is trying to communicate with him through these patients near death experiences in this case it, it was she was a doctor herself and it's some of the children that were in the like the children's hospital ward that yeah. would have been her patients or if they weren't her patients are in the same area i think i i don't know if i'm going to make you sad by the fact that i really really do not like this movie at all because okay, this is when you said oh there was yeah. remembered and there are all these connections to the mothman and i was excited Excited to see it, but I, I'm going to place the blame actually I'd, at one person's feet. The director's name is Tom Shadiak. He uh, is the director of, and I, I would I would consider these the high points for him: Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Liar Liar. Those are funny movies, not that deep, but funny movies starring a well-known and it was I mean very much started Jim Carrey's career. Ace Ventura in particular was just before The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. That was a big '94. That was a big year for him. Tom Shadiak decided, though, at some point he got sick of the goofy comedies and he decided to dip his toe into some serious material. So I, I will say I like Dragonfly more than I mentioned. I was going to talk about what I thought was the worst movie of 1998. And a lot of people uh, disagree and they get mad at me, actually, when I say this. But he directed a movie called Patch Adams starring Robin Williams, a would-be true story of a... A doctor who is also a clown and goes around entertaining children in a cancer ward and all of the obstacles he faces and he has this different idea about what uh, medicine how it should be presented but that movie I don't believe much of anything actually happened in real life in fact i know some of the some of the subplots were completely different in real life and the climax of that movie is so sentimental and so ridiculous and in fact i dangerous in some ways that it made me mad all right so and again similar to this a talented group of people involved with the film there must be something with this guy where he likes to have films where there's lots of scenes of children in the hospital and then the children are connected to these you know superpowers and scenes where where people are able to do things that i don't think would ever be allowed like pre-covid or otherwise in a hospital when it's convenient 
for the plot of this movie, Kevin Costner slips in to this child's hospital room and has this very yeah. uh, big conversation where all of this information and is presented that helps him try to move closer to this mystery and this connection with his wife and all that. But then at other points, like this is the middle of the night, he's stepping in there, right? There, there are other times where he, he just walks on there and then there's a whole bunch of doctors and nurses and people, what are you doing here? And they nearly arrest him and you have no right to be here and like you need to go home. It doesn't make sense from moment to moment to moment. And then when we get, kept going and to the film's credit, I guess, I mean, as the plot twist, which I'm not sure I'll reveal or not here, maybe you, you want to, the plot twist is absolutely ridiculous. I was just like, again, I, I was talking about the kids driving to save their grandmother. Oh, come on. But I was, oh, come on through so much of this. But I, I kept thinking to myself, why in the world, if this is indeed his wife communicating to him through these dragonfly images and through these moments where the kids are about maybe going to be going into the afterlife but they get revived and come back to life all, all of these pieces why is she putting him through this to the point where he loses his entire his career Kathy Bates is his next door neighbor who helps him out up into a point but then it gets to this point where even she can't help as ri ridiculous as it seems that she continues to help I mean she's a good neighbor and a friend and is involved with this again there's this other subplot involving this bird at least there's isn't a dog this time but this 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 bird, which is, again, so silly, but it sets up some would-be scary sequences, I suppose. But why does she go through all this? It makes sense at the end, at least. I'll give the film that, that when we find out, as ridiculous as it is, what the payoff to this movie is, I understand why this urgent message had to get to Kevin Costner. But I had to go through this whole journey, and I, I, I don't want to blame the actors for this. Uh, I might blame the screenwriters, I might blame the director, but I, I think aspects of this, and maybe there's a reason why I... I had forgotten it existed because it, it did, just did not catch on with people. I think somewhere in there, and Tom Shadiak probably has a heart of gold, and that's what he was trying to do with Patch Adams to some degree, and in a way with Dragonfly. But I, I, I think there are problems along the way with both of those films, yeah. uh, including uh, a depiction of an indigenous society, which I, I just don't think is the... It has some representation problems and is very key to the end of the uh, end of the film there but again like all the ones i'm talking about get people like watch it give it a, a day in court and so daryl i want to hear your take on uh, dragonfly I, I don't know if it's gonna be quite different from mine it might be i i don't know like i i enjoyed dragonfly quite out there type of plot where for me to believe that uh this dragonfly is a spiritual representation of his wife emily joe is the doctor's name and uh, kevin's name and like all these Emily had mailed a, a paperweight uh, with a dragonfly in it uh, before she left for was it Columbia or, or, or something like that to, to work on a, a medical place there. But the, the fact that she was even allowed to go while pregnant, Venezuela, sorry, and, and to be allowed to go there during the rainy season, no less, while pregnant, uh, I thought that was a bit that would never happen today. They would not even allow that any of that, and probably wouldn't be able to get into that area anyways, uh, as, as isolated as 
as it is. It, it comes after the funeral, this package, and then uh, it's Joe's neighbor, Miriam. Mer- Miriam, uh, she's a lawyer of all things. And at first, like you said, she starts, she supports him, but then he, he's been working nonstop. He's been told to grieve, take time to grieve. He's not even listening to that because he, he doesn't believe that uh, Emily is dead because somehow she he's, he's, she's reaching out through these kids and that patient that came in, uh, a car accident victim or something, and he sits there in the, in the morgue of all places, like listening to this guy call out his name, uh, the bird, hello, Joe, you know, that kind of thing. You see all these dragonflies all over the place, and uh, Miriam says, you know, you're, you got to get yourself checked out because if you're the one that's drawing all these dragonflies all over the place, you need help. And then when he packs up, packs your stuff up, or what, no, is that not Malcolm Twice across? He does. He, he's going to put the, the house on the market. He's going to yeah. move on. He's going to go with his friends on that whitewater rafting trip. Right, but all her stuff packed up, and then all of a sudden, he was put back in the closet later on. And I was like, okay, that wouldn't happen either. So, but anyways, I, if you, all that stuff aside, I kind of just blocked it out and did a whatever. But the... It's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> but then when they focus on Dragonfly as, like, the Dragonfly itself is, is a is a personal totem that has connection to the spiritual realm. And albeit they were kind of skirting uh, various different cultural belief systems here. But once he once he submits to that, and yeah, yeah he, he, lo- he loses the job and all that kind of stuff. But once he submits to it and he goes out and travels to Venezuela to uh, I got to find out right away because uh, we're, we're, you know find out if this is a if, if this is a dream or uh, and I'm being just lied to here and if it is then I'll then I then I, I can move on otherwise I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep going so it actually brings in a bit of uh, Hamlet reference in there you know to where Hamlet is saying I'm gonna I, you know the play play will be the thing where it catches the conscience of the king and then then I know for sure the ghost is true otherwise it, this, this is totally I've been a kind of like I've been punked or something so then he finally gets going and he gets there and then if anything the ending of it probably the saving grace of it uh, and I, I guess uh, the tugging of the emotional strings I think that's what brought everybody back after all that other stuff yeah, I'm so mixed there's so many problems with the end even then when we can kind of get back I appreciate the Hamlet analogy because that maybe can give it a few more points in, in my mind at least I, even though I, I never took Costner's character to be as indecisive as Hamlet it is but he ends up in a situation the bus where they crashed and his wife among other people died he ends up jumping into the river and he ends up in the in the the, the bus yeah and he nearly dies himself and probably should have died in this river where, where all this is happening this poor guy who's going along as his guide and he's trampling on every single custom with this indigenous yeah. community and that was ridiculous and then i mean it, to, to see the guy who directed and won an oscar for Dances with Wolves, and I know there's some problems with Dances with Wolves, but to see him in with his tribe in, in such a like a stereotypical presentation of uh, an indigenous group is just it, it's like I, I'm not sure how Costner, unless there was something else with it, and like he's a guy who normally takes control over projects. He wasn't a producer or anything with this. This was purely an acting gig for him. But how he was okay with this, I'm not sure. Like even on his current TV show Yellowstone, there. There is some effort to have an indigenous perspective on on the yeah. world and what's going on. Yeah. I, I just think that that was all of that was such a disservice. It just it answered a, a question for me about.
about like the whole arc of the film, but I, I don't think any of it was presented very well, including the, like the ridiculous last moments of the film. I, I, I really like it. I can give it points for answering the question, but I can't give it points for how the scenes are, are directed or written or laid out, you know? And again, I think Costner's just doing what he's passed to do with the character and, and then moving on. But I, the people that they got to be in this, I mean, Kathy Bates can save the worst of scripts and she was not able to, to do that here. There, there's some scenes with the two of them where, again, they're, they're, they're trying to keep it grounded somehow, but it's just not working. I mean, I may, again, going back to my, my like Will Patton or some of Tommy Lee Jones, some of these actors who they're in a ridiculous situation, but they're keeping their characters down to Mother Earth. And I, I don't think anybody was able to to kind of get there here. So it's a shame because I, I feel like somewhere in here is a good movie, but somebody along the way messed it up. And I, I guess I am blaming the director. I don't know what went on behind the scenes. Yeah. Say if that's a fair thing or not. I just look into the track record of this director, you give him a comedy every time and he'll give you some laughs and some entertainment. But when he tries to step out of that box, and I, I do appreciate filmmakers and actors stepping out of their box a little bit, the next box he jumps into seems to blow up. I hate to be this negative about the movie. I mean, I'm glad you like it. You've talked me into maybe changing some of my scoring here. But no, 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 that's not what I'm doing here. No, you don't have to listen to me. This is one one dude's opinion to another dude here. You, you, make, you make a lot of you make a lot a lot of good points, but I think the other thing that I, based on all the other movies like Dance with Wolves, for example, Yellowstone, trying to bring awareness to all the different indigenous groups that are out there, you, you see that I wouldn't say most, but some of Costner's more poignant films that, that is bringing awareness and but yes he is the like how a person such as like a doctor of all things is able to kind of be a, that beacon of light so to speak and totally disregard all the laws and belief systems of those indigenous tribes i i guess i could defend it in the sense he became obsessed right? yeah yeah I guess. And he, he didn't care if he died he needed he needed to solve this he wanted to see how he had to solve it and i guess he does but you know I, I, i'm just talking more the, the the choice of if the screenplay as it appeared is was given to costner why costner chose to do it but when you're in filming it they maybe had rewrites and they maybe had some problems with the production and things changed and then he was just you know carrying through with it he's not the producer of the film not the director of the film so i'm not going to have him shoulder all the blame but it, it just things it's just kind of strange because of that guy now of course dances with wolves is notorious as being like one of the white savior films which is problematic the nice yeah. thing in yellowstone is that he's a i don't know if anti hero would be the right word there for him in Yellowstone. He's not the most wow. heroic figure in Yellowstone, but they have a, a, a strong female ind indigenous character who's a major part of that uh, program and deals, I, I think, in a respectful way with a contemporary situation in, in the state of Montana, just south of us in Saskatchewan, and the politics of what is you know reserve land and, and building businesses and the business of capitalism and who's 
whose land don't, you know belongs to whom. Those pieces are in there in a much more complex and and, and interesting way. But again, they, we're already we were already several hours or a couple hours into the movie when we finally get to Venezuela and we get to this village and they're just trying to wrap up the movie. They didn't have the time to be able to work things out. But the, the stuff that was said in 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 the U.S. as as well just had its moments of where, where it was just silly. I like the scenes where they would calm down, where he'd be with his friends or having a normal conversation with Kathy Bates and some some of those. So I, I kind of started off with like, okay, there are problems, but then it, it did it did get it just got too too much for me. And when we're talking about several ridiculous movies, really, I found this one the most ridiculous, like even more than the oil drillers going in onto an asteroid and saving Earth. Well, you've uh, analyzed or showed your your points. I'm like, I think I'm I would I, I'm I'm beginning to agree with your assessment. Oh. I guess maybe maybe the, the only thing that maybe was, was that made me totally disregard all the other weird, you know strange stuff was I, I wrote this down I, I, for a reason. Emily taught Joe to trust and have faith. It is a belief that gets us there. So that same approach was in Deep Impact. It was also in Armageddon. That if we all work together, no matter who we are, where our background are, uh, that we can overcome a lot of the barriers, uh, divisiveness that uh, is currently in our world today. So that probably that point that really brought me back in and thought this was a pretty decent movie. But uh, but I'm putting out and I'm, I'm knocking that one down. So. Well, no, no, don't you don't have to change your mind. I, I think that's a good message. I, I mean, I, you know, I like the message. That's where I say I think again. He, he was a producer in the film too. That Shadiak has a heart of gold and yeah. was trying to send out a message like that with with this movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. The other thing that hurts this is after the Sixth Sense was such a big hit. Oh, yeah. We just uh, this is this is only uh, about three years after that was released. We we had tons of movies with these third act plot twists. There's just so many of them, and so many of them are that are better done mm-hmm. than this. And I, I think that's also why this one got greenlit because it was just another opportunity to sort of play off. We, we kind of talk. This shows a little bit about how Hollywood doesn't always have a lot of originality. All all of these plot twist movies, and some of them worked, and some of them did not work. I, I know that the effort was in here somewhere, but it just did not work for me. <laughs> We were just making sure there was adequate closet space. Good. This house is yours if you want it. We'll take it. Drawing angels. What are you doing here? Somehow between one and two thirty, I traveled four hundred miles. I've got no memory. Past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. Weird lights. Strange phone calls. Hello. Who is this? What do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard? My wife saw some. Drew pictures. Just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day I started hearing voices. The voices became messages. It was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You met him? He said, do not be afraid. Ninety-nine will die. Ninety-nine will die. All ninety-nine are believed dead. 
You're reading my mind, are you? What's in my hand? Chapstick. This isn't just a message, it's a prediction. Something terrible's gonna happen. Now we get to the movie that I think was really the catalyst for for us to do this show. I don't know how I ended up mentioning the Mothman prophecies to you, and you said you always wanted to see it. It was kind of connected to something you were talking about in, in one of your classes, maybe one of your grade 12 classes. Top 10 Strangest Mysteries. Yeah, the Mothman was in, in that mix. Yeah, and you hadn't seen the five. film. A few years ago, I, I was on my friend Larry Parsons' show of, of Rank and Review. I, I shouted his show every every episode. Yeah. And we were looking at the, the top 30 horror movies of the first decade of uh, the 2000s. And in that show, we, we would review, and there another uh, guest who sometimes comes on, Lee Beckman, too. We, were, uh, we had some reviews mixed in with our lists. And one of the movies that had been chosen was The Mothman Prophecies. What was funny for me at that time is I had watched The Mothman Prophecies. I think I had watched it once just randomly years before. Then I watched it in preparation for that show. But for some reason, I didn't remember that I had watched it. And then I was like, oh, I got my list together. It's like, oh, now I need to watch the ones we're going to review. And I, I was like, I just watched this. I But I, the title and everything, I had no memory of it. And it, it's funny that watching it this time since then, too, like each time I, I see it, there, there's all these things for some reason I forget. And these details, which I'm like, why didn't I appreciate that before? And it's, it's almost like, again, the Mothman Prophecies has these odd time-lapse pieces connected to them where... <laughs> Maybe it's we were joking, on, you know, before the, that the Mothman somehow connected to my uh, because I I remember aspects of every movie I've ever seen, but the fact this one I've, I've I have watched several times now, but it just doesn't stick with me the way that some others. It's maybe not a good thing for the movie, but maybe uh, there's a reason behind it. I don't know. This one stars uh, Richard Gere, and he's a reporter for the Washington Post, and again, so this is supposedly based on a true story and another situation where he loses his partner very early in the film played beautifully by Deborah Messing of Will and Grace fame she, she is so good like the opening that opening is, is really good and it isn't as rushed as in Dante's Peak and in Dragonfly like we actually got to know her character a little bit beforehand and it is a, a more drawn out and agonizing process when we see what happens to her this reporter is supposed to cover a different story but he's traveling to that story and he ends up losing time and he ends up stuck his car isn't working and some Somehow he is in West Virginia in this town, and there's this this man played played by Will Patton who said, "You need to stop bothering me. The last three nights you've rung my doorbell and you've come to my house. I've never been to this town before. What are you talking about?" And really weird stuff is happening. And as it as it goes on, Gear is interested, starts to look at these strange events and a little bit of these psychic visions that he may have, and the appearance of these bizarre entities and how it's affected different people in this West Virginia town. This movie also features another great actor, Laura Linney, as uh, the town sheriff. 
And yeah. so then she's not sure, is Gear some creep who keeps trying to break into Will Patton's house or what's what's the story here? But then she's been hearing about these different things from, from the townspeople and then they kind of work together. I, I like the beginning and there's actually some scary stuff. Like when I actually looked at it and the, the, they make some good choices. There's some moments where the, the director here, Mark Pellington, I think he, he over-directs in a few places. He uses a lot of slow-mo and sort have this dramatic mu- music to make you feel uncomfortable these close-up shots which you just they, they don't they don't work for me as much as just like the the quietness and the creepiness of when gear first arrives in the town yeah. and like what the heck is going on and we are just as lost as he is mm-hmm. that's when the movie is really good but then there are some other points where I, I think it's a little bit waning of course there's some sort of an expert on the Mothman uh, who's in Chicago who gear goes to see he's several notches too creepy for uh, who he actually is supposed to be I think it's just they're trying to make it a horror movie when it really maybe is a little bit more more mystery more i not quite science fiction but more mystery than anything else and i i think that's where it works but it it does have its moments where it makes you feel uncomfortable when you actually hear the voice of this what it what would be uh the mothman indrit cole on the phone like those pieces work really well the climax it's a big disasterish type of a sequence and and on, on this bridge and is connected to this psychic flash forward gear has a couple of these i'm okay with it but it's not amazing to me as as amazing as the setup was in some pieces in the second act all the stuff around will Patton's character was was so interesting but but yeah i i i I, I think I started off in my first couple of viewings of this with a thumbs down type of review. I think I know my thumb is up and I, I relaxed into watching it this time and I seem to see more of the good in it than the not so good. I just have this really weird relationship with this movie where it just doesn't stick with me and I really want a movie to stick with me if I'm going to do a full review. So this is when I was nervous to sort of talk about the plot. You know, I it's not the greatest thing in the world, but on the group that we're talking about, I think it's a pretty good film so what do you think i know we talked about it a, a while ago when i lent it to you i don't know if you've seen it since but no i've seen it a, a couple times since you and i talked oh, okay. about it. but the it, it's point pleasant west virginia and yes. having uh, gone over the strangest mysteries story and some of the um all the, whether these events are a coincidence or not these are at place of tragedies and the i would say maybe will Patton's character maybe is kind of just a uh, exaggerated it a little little more than the you know the, the actual legend itself that passed that's been passed on from one generation to another the uh, mothman is never mentioned in the mystery itself that i'm aware of so I, i'm guessing they, they have they had to give the mothman a, a really odd name to bring out that that fear factor uh, <laughs> uh, uh part of the thriller part uh, gordon is will Patton's uh, character yeah uh, and he, uh, when he dies, he's even he was looking at something same way as his wife did. Her, his wife was looking at yeah. these these red eyes, and that was common. That was a common uh, uh, sight that the people uh, of Point Pleasant saw would would see these these red red eyes, and they, they just don't know. It would be they just couldn't get that vision out of them uh, out of their head. So then they some of the uh, possibilities that it reminded them of a moth, but in, in the shape of a man that was haunting to these. Uh, 
individuals, and it was certain individuals too, ones that are very susceptible to maybe a different frequency of the real world versus paranormal world. But Richard uh, Gere's character, John, he, he basically gives up. Well, he doesn't give up his job per se, but he, he pretty much puts every, his whole life aside. But how, how he, he was able to maintain his job, uh, probably with the help of his uh, colleague covering for him for a little while there. But the fact that he was gone for so long, uh, trying to trying to solve this case i'm not sure about that part losing time so there, there have been cases where people have lost time and something happened to them and they, they don't remember how they got from one point to another and i guess the director was and the writers were kind of pulling on that part as well uh, i don't recall that being in the in the in the actual mystery itself just the, the fact that there were a number of events that took place in this area and uh, that led to the the eventual bridge collapse at the end there uh, that was a big one and then after that like the telephone lines were there'd be static and uh, on the end of phones and uh, phone calls and stuff like that just on unexplained things they don't know what what caused it but then after the bridge collapse it stopped and uh, there was no more sightings of any kind the fact that he um i guess his validation is would be that i guess there was a what a plane crash a plane crash yeah the mothman was saying that 99 will die denver nine yeah he sees nine from denver killed 99. the moth telling jo uh, john don't be afraid you, you know you're not going to be uh nothing's going to happen to you but uh there is going to be one major catastrophe and that'll be the end and well he doesn't believe it until it actually happens he i think he went back to washington but he had that, again, again, much like some of the characters in here, particularly Costner and Dragonfly, he has that desire and obsession with still connecting with his wife, which he thinks she's going to call and goes back to Washington for that and says, oh, I need to get this call. And it's around Christmas time when he's being encouraged to stay. That that, that piece is kind of there. I don't know if it's that is fully realized, but it's, you, you, you get that. And then people start to wonder about him a little bit. But you're right, he, he does keep his job. I mean, I, yet if he was an investigative reporter and he's going to do a book and he's going to do a big article for, for the Washington Post and, and we have some some connection there it would make sense that he's given all this this leeway to take all this time to work on this story and like, that must be maybe it's in a deleted scene I don't know I, I think a lot of this stuff maybe works better as an unsolved mystery yeah you know like I, I could see it being great on that on that show the the new one or the old one once again there, there's a few hollywood pieces big like quasi happyish ending like people have died by the end but thank god laura linney is still alive and you know maybe there's a chance for richard Gere and laura linney to to get something going here like that wonderful family that we have at the end of dante's peak not completely fully dealing with the disaster that has just happened but well, the number had to be 36 because uh, otherwise uh, they would have been 37 that's what maybe broke the mothman curse yeah. or whatever I, I again i i am always a little bit leery about these would be horror movies that are based on true events or inspired by a true story that usually means hollywood took something which sort of happened and they make it into something quite a bit bigger i think if you like mysteries if you can take a little little moments of horror because i think 
it, it, it can be labeled a horror movie. I don't think there's there's any doubt about that. But if you don't like horror movies or you don't want to be creeped out, this might not be the movie for you. But for those who like it, again, give it, you know, I'm, I'm saying this with every movie, give it a chance, see what you think. Again, this one isn't as celebrated or as thought of. Like, I, I would say of the movies we're talking about, Armageddon's the most famous and it doesn't need our help to get people to watch it, but perhaps the, the other five do. But I, again, I, I wasn't sure where Mothman was going to quite place for me in this group of six, but I had a better time with it this time around, which is my, I don't know, maybe my fourth, maybe my fifth. Maybe I've lost a lot of time and I've watched this movie 30 times and I wouldn't know it. <laughs> as long as you didn't see Red Eyes, then you will, I think you're fine. I, I have not, no. So I, I think it's working out and I'm really glad that you had this idea because I wanted to get you on the show and I didn't have anything like this. We kind of cobbled the show together, yeah. but I didn't have an idea like this, but this is such a, a great idea and I think there may be other examples that could be explored of doppelganger movies. But it was interesting, even among the pairs that we did, we were able to see some scenes which were familiar in all six or overlapping between the themes of the end of the world, volcanoes, or messages from the spiritual realm being yeah. sent to us. I mean, I'd, I'd probably... As, as scary and creepy as it is, I'd rather be hearing from Kevin Costner's wife than I would from the Mothman. But if I had a choice between the two, the next job we have, unless there's anything you want to say about Mothman, is to distribute some points. No, I, I covered it all there. A few minutes ago, the United States ambassadors to every country in the world told the leaders of those nations what I am about to tell you. It's a bit complicated, so it will take some time. So I hope you will bear with me, hear what I have to say. A little over a year ago, two American astronomers, Marcus Wolf and Leo Biedemann, working on a mountaintop in Arizona, Shh, saw something say in the night sky that caused them great concern. A comet. But the comet was, well, there was a remote possibility that the comet was on a path that could bring it into direct contact with the Earth. Now, we get hit all the time by rocks and meteors, some of them the size of cars, some no bigger than your hand. But the comet we discovered is the size of New York City, from the north side of Central Park to the Battery, about seven miles long. Put another way, this comet is larger than Mount Everest. It weighs 500 billion tons. Daryl Heskin, thank you for being on the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I, you know, hopefully I didn't <laughs> trample my or force my opinion on you there, particularly with Dragonfly. And after all is said and done, hopefully we, you know, this won't be the last time that we have you on the show. That we can come up with some more ideas uh, moving forward here. Uh, you will always be welcome. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Now is the part of the show where we're going to take a look at points and then, and then we'll figure out which of these is leaving my movie collection. The interesting thing is there's a couple of them that I don't actually own. So if one of those goes, you, you might have to, we might have to get creative with it, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, the guest will always have the power. And here, let's start off with Armageddon. How many points did you give Armageddon? Armageddon, I gave 12. And then Deep Impact. Deep Impact, I gave 8. And then Dante's Peak. I gave 8. And... 
Volcano. I gave as well a... And then uh, Dragonfly. 12. And the Mothman Prophecies. 11. There's a couple where we're in different spots, but most of them we are very, very uh, similar. So uh, Armageddon, uh, you gave 12. I also gave 12 points to Armageddon. I still think it's entertaining, as ridiculous as it is. But I, I did like it Deep Impact more, uh, and quite a bit more than you did. I gave it 15 points. Oh, wow. Dante's Peak, I gave eight. Just a notch higher for Volcano for me, I gave it nine points. Then Dragonfly discrepancy here, I uh, I actually gave it four points. And we kind of knew that we were in different places on that one, I think. And then yeah. we were exactly the same again with uh, the Mothman Prophecies, 11 points. Great. Where that leaves everything is the big winner, oddly enough, is actually Armageddon yeah. uh, with 24 points, followed yeah. closely by Deep Impact with 23, and then Mothman with 20. And then we had a tie, essentially fourth place. Dante's Peak in Volcano was 17. And then Dragonfly had 16 points. He got the lowest number of points. So the, the, the top three were, were, were pretty close there. And the bottom three were very close. So uh, interesting episode. But I now, Dragonfly is actually one you own, not one that I own. So you have to decide something that I'm going to have to do. Then either shedding... Uh, a movie from my collection it could be one of the runner-up films or there could be something else that i need to do uh related to uh, dragonfly or to uh, make up for the fact that the bottom movie isn't one in my collection well based on your analysis i think i'll donate my copy of dragonfly and you can pin it to your bulletin board at school and uh, as a as a token of or, or maybe a reminder that your persuasive abilities are outmatched no way i can compete with that uh, you, you were able to change my opinion. I actually wanted to change my points on that one. Did you change your points or not? I I kept the points, but uh, in hindsight, I'm like after listening to your 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 take on it, thinking I have to really really rethink that movie. So I'm going to give you my disc as a trophy for you to display as the the one that was able to persuade me to uh, reconsider my interest in this movie. Okay. Because I I don't want you to be (laughs) dissed. I don't want to. That's even worse than changing your. Interest in it because of having a conversation. With no, if it, you know, if it pops up again or whatever, I might try. I might see it, but I, yeah. I might second guess myself. No. Uh, you know, oh, I don't need to or whatever. But you made some really valid points about it, and I was hung up on, I guess, more the storyline in regard to the search for finding out what happened to his wife. Just, just know that I've been doing this for most of my life, so I, I probably have that ability. <laughs> But I, I think people have to enjoy movies in the way that they enjoy them, and not everybody's going to like everything the same way. And so that feeling that you had, you can hang on to that and and, and keep that. That's 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 not a bad thing. But I I, I will certainly give it to you as a trophy because uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, if, if if you want to take it from my office at any point to watch it again, just just let me know. But uh, yeah, I think that 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 will work well. Before we go again, thank you for for coming on. I, I want to shout out some other podcasts. I mentioned one point we were talking rank and review Larry Parsons podcast and I'm looking forward to, to being on his show again and I'm sure he'll be on mine at some point Kurt Fitzpatrick he has uh, him and a couple other guys have a, a show called A Lifetime of Hallmark where they do a deep dive into Hallmark and Lifetime movies um, sounds like 
fairly soon I'm going to be uh, guesting on that show, so that uh, that'll be good. And also uh, Matt Bledsoe's show, uh, Film Feast. Uh, all people who have been guests and supporters of this podcast, and I want people to check out their shows as well, too. And, and so, as I always say, please continue to just be kind and respectful of each other. Take the general themes from these movies about treating everybody as an individual and working together for the betterment of humanity and just also continue to be be safe. Please continue to do that and take care of yourselves and please continue in whatever way you watch them to support the movies because there's no podcast without the movies.